1: The
2: Eyes to the Left. Hello and welcome to Eyes to the Left, the Mirrors political podcast. My name is Jason Beatty and I'm joining. Today by Kevin Maguire and Nicola Bartlett at the end of the Labour Party conference in a very sunny Liverpool. We've got a beautiful view of the Mersey and we've just had a hour's big leader speech from Jeremy Corbyn, wrapping up what has been, I think, quite an event for a week. There's been rows over deputy leadership, there's been big debates on Brexit, which we'll come to later, and kind of... Interestingly, took a lot of applause for people like Keir Starmer and Emily Thornberry. It's not just been a one-man show. In terms of, you know, last time it was some say said they came here to kind of worship Jeremy. And I think this time it was kind of more kind of inclusive in many respects. Kevin, what did you think of, of his speech? I agree he was inclusive because he
0: name-checked a lot of people and he doesn't normally do that as normally a one-man cult. I actually thought it was the most coherent of the four conference speeches he's, he's given. He's made a very bold pitch to present himself as the new political mainstream and dressing up his radicalism as incredibly reasonable, talking about uh, common-sense socialism. A phrase Chris Williamson, who is probably the most Corbynista of the Corbynites, has been using that uh, that phrase for a long a long time. And People are wanting change because they're fed up with austerity, their wages are worse in real terms than they were ten years ago, they see what's happening to public services. They feel bad about the homelessness uh, being on the rise. They want houses built. And that is a good pitch because there's a vacuum where the Conservative government is. It's totally obsessed with Brexit. Understand that? Such a big issue. And we'll discuss Sir Corbyn's uh, response or lack of uh, on that. But in that vacuum, he's now stepping and he's Striking, I think, chords with people because he is talking about look, we can make communities better, we can be better from the cradle almost to the grave. He had something for kids, he had something for pensioners and everybody in between, and and it was coherent. He'll have to cost it, but last time at the general election 2017, Labour costed its manifesto. They might query some of the figures, but it cost it, Tories didn't cost theirs. Labour will cost that, no doubt, and we'll show how it's going to be paid for.
2: Yeah, well, and there was a big element about, you know, that what was once seen as quite left field ideas are now as he said we are now the mainstream that's right and this is as you say I think because of the the, the consequences of the financial crash are now being felt ten years later this was a speech written or had its roots a decade ago, and it's now going to come to fruition, I think.
0: It was Labour's misfortune to be in office during the global financial collapse, so it took the political hit. Not that the Conservatives at the time had the answers. David Cameron, George Osborne would have made it worse by not propping up the financial institutions and and stopping them going completely. You're right. You talk about rail nationalisation, electricity nationalisation, gas uh, re-nationalisation, water re-nationalisation. Nationalisation, male renationalisation. they're all popular. Opinion polls show there is big public support, and the mood has shifted, and I think Corbyn is answering that, and his party is pretty united around all the
2: policies, with the one exception of Brexit. Which we, we will come to. <laughs> and, and, Nicola, one of the things which also struck me, Alan, is that this is a very different Corbyn to one we saw three or four years ago, you know, when he used to stutter over his autocue, he looked uncomfortable... He wasn't. A, he's not a kind of a great orator, but he's mm. become very good at kind of shifting his tone. He held the hall. You know, I, this is a kind of transformation, isn't it? as a man who's much more comfortable in his own skin.
1: Yes, I mean, I wouldn't go so far as to say that he enjoys the conference hall uh, speech quite as much as someone like Emily Thornbury, but he certainly seems much more comfortable up there. And I think you know that's partly because you know he's obviously done a lot of work with his advisers. But he also has this united um, shadow cabinet behind him, and um, you know the, the the delegates who who have come to this conference are very much his delegates. You know, they' this is a very united conference in a way, but it's also quite united because a lot of people aren't here, and actually a lot of MPs haven't even come. Um, maybe yep. they've popped in a bit for for one or two fringes, but. It's been uh, noticeable. How I know you one, seen...
2: one MP is in Tibet. Got a chance to meet the Dalai Lama and thought it was more important being at a constituency party. I know another MP is in Tenerife. It's quite, <laughs> I'm not going to name names, <laughs> but I'm just saying it is quite interesting that the, the non kind of followers have, have decided to go elsewhere, even if it means going up a mountain. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You the Dalai Lama instead of a God Corbyn. I know. <laughs> yeah. We could have a kind of dull la dong about this one. Um, <laughs> but but um, in terms of kind of did he do enough today to kind of, you know, there was a, right at the beginning of his speech there was a lot about unity. He, 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 he broached the subject of anti-Semitism. I, I know for a fact because I was talking to his leadership team just two days ago they were would, they would still undecided about whether to include anti-Semitism mm. in the speech or not. They thought we do include it we're going to get damned for not being sufficiently enough in about how we phrase it or making an apology, which he didn't do. And if we don't include it, we'll get done for actually kind of trying to run away from the subject. How do we do you think we call for unity? When
1: um, I think I think you're right. You know, he, he had to. I think he had to mention it. I mean, it would have been such a kind of glaring hole if he hadn't. Um, the way he did it, you know, the language was 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 conciliatory. And it was kind of making an appeal, um, saying, you know, to to Jewish people, we are your ally, and and I suppose trying to centre where he comes from and his kind of uh, anti-racist background within the struggle against anti-Semitism. I think it's partly I would take issue with some of the language he used because he was talking about the anti-Semitism row, um, so kind of reacting to the. Dis- the the disagreements over it rather than what's actually happened which is the fact that there are people within the Labour Party or within the Labour movement some of, you know, maybe the vast majority of them are not members it's very difficult to tell, a lot of this abuse is online, anonymous accounts, but there is an association that has become apparent for people who support Jeremy Corbyn using uh, anti-Semitic language and I think it was slightly sort of tiptoes around you know, the real problem here. He, you know, it was a bit of a missed opportunity to reach out to some of those Jewish um, Labour MPs, you know, like Luciana Berger um, and, uh, and, and Ruth Smith and others who, who spoke out. But, you know, it was important, I think, that it was there and he and he centred it within a wider call for unity um, on, on other issues as well.
2: And, and the great fear was that this was just going to dominate the whole of conferences. Sure. As you can see, we have some background noises because they are actually taking down the conference <laughs> staging around us. Um, but, but yes, the great fear was that... Um, uh, that, that it was going to kind of drag on like it dragged on for the whole summer, they, and actually they ended up having rows over things we weren't expecting, like the yeah. deputy leadership Kevin, which was kind of very unusual. <laughs> it, it, it was, and this you know, this idea of having
0: a, a second deputy, a, a guaranteed to be a woman, so you always have a mix at the at the top, it was backed by the current male deputy leader Tom Watson, John Landsman, momentum uh, backed it, but Corbyn's office was quite clearly uncomfortable with it because they could not control. The outcome of the election, no guarantee he'd get his favoured candidate uh, elected, and then you could have two deputies. Uh, no doubt, the woman would have been elected, backing uh, a people's vote, a second uh, referendum. And if you have two deputies combining against the leader, the leader is a weaker, uh, weaker position. So, a straight power play, politics by the leader's office. If they thought they could have got their candidate. He's thought to favour Dawn Butler. Could have got her elected. That no doubt he would have wanted her to go ahead. And so, there's a lot of machine politics you always saw. And I think there are periods uh, in in the Corman Labour Party when it feels like the Blair Labour Party, mm-hmm. and the same level of control and command they attempt to uh, to, to assert. They they say it. Uh, they say they're not. They may use slightly different language, but it is there. They are attempting to control too. However much he says, I'll follow the party. Mm-hmm. He wants it to follow him, that's quite clear.
2: Yeah, and and as you just mentioned, and it's quite a useful way of leading into it, Brexit was the big issue. It was. And now part of me likes this because, you know, they did have debates on the floor, and Mm. I think that's good. I think, you know, we're going to see next week at the Tories the most ridiculously stage-managed, sterile conference where nobody's allowed to speak on the platform. It's all done with sofa chats and... And it's kind of like almost like kind, of, kind, of, kind of an insult to the Tory Party members, but it's also an insult to democracy. At least here, it's out in the open, there was you know passionate debates. Uh, but it's a one area where Corbyn, you get the feeling, is out of step with the membership, or at least yeah. the membership who turn up a conference. Is that right? Like?
1: Well, I think what was really interesting is that you know more than a hundred CLPs, uh, constituency Labour parties, backed the fact that that brexit was discussed here and corbyn's obviously his whole play is to say that he listens to labour party members and they are where his where his power comes from but then when you get to conference um you have and i, I suppose the, the the interesting thing about that as well was that momentum backed it being discussed and that was a real that was a difference between this year and last year but then when you get here there aren't kind of almost new splits and new dividing lines um you know the unions have their role to play and it's interesting how it's you know it was it was something like a six hour meeting to the composite meeting to decide what the actual motion was going to be you know some unions were angry at others um some you know momentum people were disagreeing with it so that it's not Necessarily as clear-cut the the power divides within the party as maybe as maybe it was last year.
0: So Six hours for a compensating meeting is actually short compared to something <laughs> <laughs> that would go all day, all night, and into the next yeah. uh, the next day. But it did show the tensions uh, around yeah. this, and he couldn't bring himself in his speech to use the R word, a referendum, because we know his uh, yeah. his strategy is vote against uh, Theresa May, whatever she gets or doesn't get, try and trigger a general election. And then after that all options are on the table as he said but he wouldn't say referendum which of course is the option and I, and I think he's going to at some point have to come to terms with it and yes it's a it's a risky political strategy but that poll ahead of the conference showed 86 percent of labor members yeah file favor having a referendum to resolve
2: this dilemma facing britain away you go and there was this moment of political theatre when Keir Starmer of a shadow Brexit century when he made his speech and he said yes there will be a second we you know referendum is, is an option and remain will be on the question and they kind of erupted in applause and you could look Keir Starmer looked shocked by this at, 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 the, at the yes at the extent of at, the at, applause at, and the enthusiasm and I, and I gather the leadership was not angry with Keir Starmer who was stating the policy but angry at the reception he got because I just think it kind of it rammed home to them how you know they are on slightly different sides. Cor- Cor- Corbyn's out of touch
0: with the, with his members on this. I think that's quite quite clear. And of course, John McDonnell, the Shadow Chancellor, mm. and Len McCluskey, the United General Secretary, very influential figure. I both said if there is a referendum, Remain would not be an option. Mm. Keir Starmer, he didn't put it in this speech that was cleared by Corbyn's <laughs> office. He very cleverly added it, saying yeah. Remain would be it would be a question. Naughty Keir. On that, but it's it's sharp politics by Starmer, who's been dragging Labour to to this more favourable position to the referendum, and it's been a lot of shouting behind the scenes. Talk of Keir Starmer at one point threatening to resign, and this is real politics. The Tories are probably more deeply and fundamentally divided than Labour on Brexit, but Labour has its divisions too.
1: I think one of the, the problems is that you were saying that that Corbyn is not in tune with his members on this, but. Actually is he in tune with some of his voters and that's you know that's the question for these some of these MP I mean a lot of uh, labor MPs would vote against the deal that, that Theresa may will, will bring back if it's you know, anything like checkers but there are some who who will um, who will approve it because that is what they are getting from their constituencies and they're not just the hardcore Kind of labour leave, Kate Hoey, etc. There is a wiser group who, um, who quite possibly would, would, would back her. No, and I have some
2: sympathy for the leadership yeah. on this one. I mean, I'm putting aside or parking Jeremy Corbyn's kind of long-standing Euroscepticism. He is very worried that the coalition, which helped him do so well in last year's election, could be fractured. if they come down too heavily on one side of the referendum debate. I know there's polls out there saying they could get ex- win this ex- and, and also vote. test the leadership. You've got, to, you've got to be bold as a leader, and you've got to
0: take risks. You've got to take people with you. Because Labour is caught when you have two thirds of Labour voters will remain, but two thirds of Labour constituencies wanted out, and you've got to somehow square that circle—the you know, two, two bits of the uh, circle—it's it, not easy. But that's what he's got to come up with a strategy. Because what would he do? I always think it's fair in an opposition to criticise a government. That what would you do, that is different, and yeah. so, so well, far we do not know, but we'll, inter- on a
1: key issue. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, the interesting thing um, was talking to some of um, the shadow Brexit team, and they were saying that there was this big misrepresentation from Theresa May um, about uh, what uh, the EU would be willing to give. She has presented it as, you can have Norway, you can have Canada, and, and that's it. And obviously they have red lines but they are different to the ones that the Tories um, Tories have stuck to, and that is the real problem. And I think it is fair for Labour to say we would have different points of principle. You know, they have committed to a customs union, which is not the same as the single market, which doesn't come with freedom of movement. There is there is, you know, room for manoeuvre. And the problem is that the Tories have set it up as this um, entrenched EU negotiations where they're not willing to, to budge at all. And it, it is they have overblown that I think. So I, I I understand that people think that Labour's position is a fudge or it's a bit of a mess. But I think maybe we're too keen a lot of the time to see things in black and white, and Brexit just doesn't work. That yeah,
0: way. but the, fi- the five tests Gordon Brown had on the on joining the euro, which nobody remembers, were basically just uh, they were they were just a, f- a kind of way of getting over a problem and buying mm-hmm. him time. No mm-hmm. one could remember Labour's six. You were. Well? <laughs> 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 no, <laughs> no one remembers Labour's or knows what Labour's six uh, issues are around Brexit. Uh, but the one that we are Aware of, nuclearing is the exact same benefits of the uh, being in the single market and the customs union. You're not going to get. But it's I impossible. thought
2: Corbyn was quite clever in his speech today when he said to Theresa May, "Look, if you deliver a Brexit which keeps us in the customs union, you know, means there's no hard border in Ireland and has the same rights for workers, we'll support it." Now he she can not. no longer say you're trying to stop vexing mm-hmm. he can say look we've given you an option it's there and interestingly i think it's the option which most Tory remainers would go for as well and it, it, it could be end up or, or it's sort of what deal she ends up getting and he said well that's what we wanted anyway so i mean it i thought it was quite a clever move by him put the ball back in her court yeah, i think he's playing for time, uh, oh, that's time. so what's your kind of end summary of how conference has gone for Labour I want to have a little chat in a minute about what we're going to expect next week at the Tories which we'll probably enjoy more Good conference, I, bad conference I think you have to
0: say it's gone pretty well for them there were the internal arguments over a deputy leader over the selection, reselection of candidates M- MPs and Brexit but there's a fair bit of unity on most of the policy areas and there is a kind of much more positive mood and he's, he's not challenged as a leader now no, and I think that's relaxed the the, uh, yeah, the tensions. Uh,
2: Nicola, what's your kind of end summary?
1: Yeah, I would I would say it's it's interesting because actually we haven't got a lot of new policy announcements. Oh, of course, you know that was a speech where there was a big announcement on childcare, um, but there there wasn't much else that kind of came out. Yeah. You know, there was various things throughout the week, but I I feel like it's. You know, it's a bit similar to the manifesto. that the manifesto was incredibly popular on the doorstep? You know, Labour MPs really valued having that. Um, and what Corbyn is saying is not—he's talking about the new political mainstream. It's not actually that radical. Um, but he dresses it up in quite radical language, so he almost does the opposite of what Blair used to do, which was you know, some of the policies were quite radical, you know, minimum wage short-start centres etc, but he downplayed that, so it's this weird um, kind of I don't know how that quite works with, with the general voting public and it's very difficult I think when you're here in conference, immersed in it to kind of take a step back and think how is this being received in the rest of the country. Yeah,
2: and, and what does and doesn't cut through yeah, is exactly. quite interesting. I think of people would have really liked the, the, the staff of kicking out the fat cat water bosses, for mm. instance, and, you know, actually having business as your enemy is not a bad place to be, because I think the public was actually side of the people who haven't seen their bills go up year after year, rather than the people who are using, kind of, you know, paying themselves millions of pounds in dividends. I think it's kind of... But I kind of, I did think there was a kind of, you know, there was an element in this speech about trying to be reassuring as well. But, you know, don't be scared of us. You know, with, as we say, it's common sense. This is going kind to of, be, you know, kind of what you would do in this sort of situation. And I and also, you know, that was kind of me was kind of quite striking whether you can have a common sense radical agenda <laughs> I don't know yeah, but you know the <laughs> but you know the drive the
0: new ideas the freshness it's coming from McDonald John McDonald yep. who's been everywhere mm, absolutely, uh, absolutely uh, very am very glad he because I want to everything. talk about
2: how, how are relations between Jeremy and John McDonald because this, we are picking up little kind of bits of kind of static saying that, that, that they are not agreeing on everything but you know they, this is a friendship of 40 years long, long-term allies, but the, we are, you know, but I, I did kind of get a little bit of resentment from Team Corbyn at the high media profile John McDonnell was getting. Uh, I think that's where the
0: tension is. I think the tension is more between McDonnell and Corbyn's office than McDonnell and Corbyn. And uh, they have had their rows, they had a very fierce row early in the summer about anti-Semitism and how to tackle it and the adoption of the full international def- definition, which McDonnell won in the end. He won that. Uh, but he was called in on the eve of the speech uh, after the Daily Mirror party to finesse the writing or, of that speech. How much he, how much it changed, what his input was, I don't know. But I know he was yeah. called in and went back to do that. So there, I think I think he's cl- I think he's still tight. And it, it was McDonald. He would uh, would would joke that he, he told his wife that uh, Corbyn was his best friend in politics, and she said, "No, Corbyn's your only friend in politics." And <laughs> I, I, th- I think there is. You know, there, there is something that goes a long way back, it's not, it's not quite uh, Osborne and Cameron, who were uh, sort of thought exactly the same, really, uh, except on Brexit, of course, where Osborne was against the referendum, promise. Cameron foolishly uh, went with it, but it's certainly not Blair Brown either. Yeah. Uh, I think I think they're a pretty tight persons. But well, I
2: remember Ed Ball saying to me once, and I was talking about the tensions between Gordon Brown and Tony Blair, uh, and Ed Balls obviously big brownite said to me actually it could also be very constructive he said there were times when Osborne would have solved a lot of problems if he'd stood up more to Cameron and challenged him and between them they would have made better decisions and he said actually it made both of team Brown and team Blair sharper because we were you know, such bitter rivals. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Ironically, yeah. constructive <laughs> hatred. <Yeah. laughs> T- talking of of, of constructive hatred yeah, yeah. Or, or deconstructed hatred, we've got the Tories next week. Now, is it going to be the disaster we're hoping it's going to be, or do you think they are going to do the normal thing of actually kind of rallying together and kind of putting on this show of kind of unity just for? And I think it'll be an, unc- an incredible uncivil
0: war. I think they would. <laughs> <laughs> they, the leadership could control the hall as long as they make sure uh, letters don't fall off the stage <laughs> and she doesn't, she doesn't start coughing, but they can't control the fringe. Mm. And I think we're going to see the extremists competing between each other to to be the more strident and hostile towards uh, Jacob rees now draws huge uh, crowds
2: and Boris Johnson will be off the leash. Yeah, you see, I, I have a theory that when a conference is predicted to be a car crash, it turns out to be okay. Mm-hmm. When it's predicted yeah. to be a, smoothly, it turns out to be a car crash. Nicola, what what do you think? How toury is going to be?
1: Are you looking forward to Birmingham? <laughs> I I do always enjoy visiting Birmingham, but um, <laughs> I personally I think that she. Did a lot of good for herself with that speech. Um, well, it was last Friday, wasn't it? We've lost all sense of time. It was uh, <laughs> when she she showed this real anger towards Brussels, and I think that that obviously was really well received in the Tory press, and I imagine was quite well received by Tory members. Um, and it will be interesting to see how that plays. Out. As you say, the fringes are what will be, you know, the the more uh, antagonistic. But, you know, Boris's fringe has been so hyped up, you know, thousands, more than a thousand people turning up, and, you know, this is, I, I mean, I think the the problem with Boris is he is so much of a personality and character in, you know, can he actually live up to that uh, at the moment? And he, how much kudos does he have anymore? Uh, now he's, you know, he's no longer in the cabinet, but he's not, really got the same standing to speak for. Really.
0: Johnson has declining purchasing power but I still think it's quite considerable but I think her problem will be the enemies within uh, those in the cabinet, mm. your Liam Foxes your Esther, Esther McVeigh's some extent, Michael Gore, although he's been a bit more loyal, they're not going to be uh, saying Chequers is, is great, that so-called plan, because everybody knows it's dead. It's it's died too early for her. That was the danger of Salzburg. She had to keep it going until after next uh, week, um, and Donald Tusk shot it. Every, every
2: uh, media interview, just as they kind of be asked here to Jeremy Corbyn, you know, how would you vote in a referendum? They're going to be asking cabinet. ministers. Do you back Chequers? And then try and what from and from yes they pretend they do the <laughs> but, you know that that Anyway, we'll be back this time next week, more or less, in Birmingham, to deliver our, our verdict on Theresa May's speech. Unfortunately, it can't be as bad as last year's. <laughs> <laughs> and if it did, it would be quite extraordinary. Um, thank you very much to, to, to Kevin and Nicola. You can uh, go to our website, which is uh, mirror.co.uk forward slash eyes. I'm on Twitter as at JBTMirror. Kevin's... Kevin underscore Maguire. Nicola R. Bartlett. Thank you very much. And a special thank you to Liv Coles, who's sitting with us. Liv is leaving the mirror this week, and she's helped record dozens of these podcasts, and we're going to miss her. So thank you, Liv, as
1: well. Oh, thank you. up. <laughs> <Trader. laughs>